Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. The craziness has begun. The madness has begun. You've already had some weird finishes in the NCAA tournament. Good Thursday afternoon. Welcome officially to March Madness. Welcome to the start of the best couple of weekends in sports, I think. Is that overstating it? Okay. No, because you're not alone in that sentiment. I do think, however that it can't be the best weekend in sports without football being involved. Okay. Well, you know, I love opening day. I love the first weekend of the tournament. I love the weekend, you know, the opening weekend of college football season, uh, the weekend when you get the NFL and college football for the first time. All, all those things are good. Let me just say that from a volume standpoint, this is probably the best we get because it is 16 games today. It is 16 games tomorrow, and then you've got eight games on Saturday and eight games on Sunday, right? I'm doing the math on that correct, correctly, I think. Yeah, the field gets cut in half, so 16 yeah. today and tomorrow, and then eight Saturday and Sunday. There you go. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad with you to start the show. Brian Scott Rippey will join us a little bit later this afternoon as well. Sports Talk Mississippi, brought to you every day by... Mississippi Land Bank, online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, then Mississippi Land Bank is here to help. Say, for example, you want to buy a piece of property so that when March Madness rolls around, you can go out to your piece of property and you can get one of those inflatable big screens and a high-definition projector and you got a satellite dish and you can just... Okay, I'm being silly now. Nobody Wait. would buy a piece of land just for that. That sounds like a really good time, though. But if you had a piece of land that you could also hang out on and hunt on and put a cabin on and have a shop on, and then when a weekend like this rolled around, you could spend the entire weekend out there watching basketball, well, that's just one of the things that Mississippi Land Bank can do. They can also help with equipment loans, crop loans, whatever it is you need pertaining to land and land financing. The folks that have been doing it for 100 years in North Mississippi are Mississippi Land Bank, and they know the lay of the land. Brian Haydad coming to you, I think, loud and clear from San Jose, California. Hello from three time zones away. Just two. Just two time zones away. Well, I guess two. You're right. It is weird being on the air with you guys at one o'clock in the afternoon. And and then bailing here in an hour for media availability. Travel was okay yesterday, no big deal. No issues whatsoever, which is always a great thing. Had the middle seat open. Both flights. That's that's wow, no doubt. I should have stopped in Las Vegas and rolled some craps with that kind of luck, but here I am. So 
been good so, so far. So did you just did you just fold up the armrest and basically take that second seat over and kind of stretch out and sprawl out a little bit? Well, I mean, uh, there was another there was another person in the in the window seat. I'm I'm an aisle seat kind of guy, so uh, it was just nice to have that little extra room though. Hmm. I got you. So let's see. You were Birmingham to Dallas, and then Dallas to San Jose. To San Jose, yeah. All right. What's San Jose like? It's it's different. It's <laughs> the only way to put it. You know, you you walk outside and there you can see mountains. That, that's weird for me for a Mississippi okay. kid. And uh, like I, I tweeted out last night, I, I got an Uber from the airport. The guy picks me up in a Tesla. Like, you're driving a six-figure car here, buddy, and this is your second job. What what do you do? What do you do during the day? So, all right. but uh, all right, people are nice. So, and, you know, it's great. Yeah. So, from a geography standpoint, if you're not familiar with that part of California, San Jose is to the southeast of San Francisco. So think of it as like there, there's kind of like a big U shape. And at the top left part of the U, you have San Francisco. And then the bay would be to the right, if you're looking at it, to the right, but but kind of to the east. But but the San Francisco Bay also runs down to the bottom of the big U shape. And like at the right. bottom of the U on the left is Palo Alto, where San Francisco is. And then south of Palo Alto is San Jose, and then if you were to work back up the top, or back up the right side of the U all the way to the top, you'd get to Berkeley where Cal is. Did I describe that reasonably You left Oakland close? out, but that's fine. <laughs> Don't a lot of people leave Oakland out? I mean, you know, the, the, the World Series have been leaving them out for 20 years. Hey, look at you. Look at you. So, yes, Oakland would be directly across the bay from San Francisco. Um it's a crowded area, traffic, crazy, and whatever. But but really, San I Jose. Look. I took a ahead. look, Richard. I, you know, being a Giants fan, I thought maybe I, you know, how far is it to to the park? I could take a tour, just get some pictures. That'd be cool. Yeah. So it's fifty five miles away. I'm like, that's not that bad. All the traffic reports, it's a ninety to an hour and forty minute drive to go mm. fifty five miles. And I'm just like, didn't really want to see it that badly. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to see it that. No, I'm good. Well, that's what makes calling the 49ers San Francisco a joke anymore because they're an hour away from San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a long way to uh, to everything in uh, in that part of the country. Uh, so you got media availability coming up uh, in, what, a couple of hours for Mississippi State. Have you seen anybody else in maroon or with, a, uh, with an MS State logo out there? I'm almost positive somebody on my plane. They were wearing maroon, but I never spoke to them. But they they came from Birmingham to Dallas to San Jose, and I just thought it was too odd a coincidence. But I didn't speak to them. Other so than there's that, you no, covering the team, and at least one there. other Mississippi State person. At least one. <laughs> uh, hey, was there a famous person on your flight? Not 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 this time. No. Rippy had a Only famous once in my person. Life I had a famous person on a flight. Who was that? You know, I don't know what his real name is, uh, but he was the older brother on the Wonder Years. And you recognized him? Yeah, but I don't know what his name is. Oh, that's fair enough. Uh, we can uh, we can look that up at another time. Rippy did have a famous person on his flight. Who do you have? Hello, friends. You're kidding. <laughs> Jimmy Nance nice. on the flight from uh, from Atlanta to Columbia. Last night for uh, for Brian Rippey. 
That's awesome. Surprised Jim Nance doesn't fly on like a NetJets G5 or something. I was a little surprised. I asked, um, I texted Rippy late last night. I said, "Oh, I'm sure you guys were seatmates on the uh, on the final leg into Columbia." He said, "Let's just say he looked nice and comfortable and spread out in first pla- class as I was making my way back to 27C." <laughs> so, hey, speaking of the NCAA tournament, what's going on right now? You've got three finals. Probably some of you have scratch marks on your bracket already. I do. Minnesota 86-78, uh, sorry, 86-76, a 10-point win over Louisville in the first game of the day. LSU hangs on to win 79-74 over Yale, so a five-point victory for LSU. Uh, that was a more significant late lead for a lot of the game. But LSU does get the win and advance to the second round. Auburn also will advance to the second round by the hair of their chinny-chin-chin. Double-digit lead late in the second half. New Mexico State makes it close down the stretch, and then one of the more inexplicable plays that you will see. New Mexico State in transition uh, with six seconds to, to go. So Auburn has a chance. Excuse me, Auburn has a chance to make it a three-point game at the free-throw line. Samir Dowdy misses the first, makes the second to put Auburn up two. They do not guard the inbound. Uh, New Mexico State gets it up the floor. They have an open lane for a layup to tie the game, and the player for New Mexico State inexplicably kicks it to the corner for a three and the win, as opposed to sending it to overtime. The only thing worse than that play is fouling the three-point shooter. With 1.1 seconds remaining, or 1.6 remaining, whatever it was, three free throws for New Mexico State, miss the first, make the second, miss the third, touch last by Auburn, goes out of bounds, and one more chance from the corner, an air ball three, Auburn holds on to win, 78 77 to advance to the second round. Guys, the, the finish to that was not exactly what Dr. Naismith had drawn up. Would have drawn up. I will never know why that guy passed up the layup. He must have, it must have been a J.R. Smith moment. He thought they were down three. It's the only explanation. How is that possible in the NCAA tournament? How is it possible in the NBA? Yeah, we I the understand. <laughs> I understand. I understand the point you're making. Uh, three games going on right now. Halftime. Bradley leading 35-34 over Michigan State. Belmont up 40-34 to over Maryland at the half. The 11 seed Belmont, who won on Tuesday night, playing well again. And Florida State up 10 on the Vermont Catamount. 71-61 inside a minute to play. We got more coming up with you. Sports Talk Mississippi just getting started on this Thursday afternoon, day one of the NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament. We're obviously going to spend a bunch of time on the NCAA Tournament with you this afternoon, but some other things that we will get into as well. Suzuki Ichiro has officially retired, and you might say, well, I thought he had already done that. He's kind of been out of baseball, but the Seattle Mariners, uh, the, the, okay. Let, let me pause just for a second. Did you know that the first two games 
of the Major League Baseball season have already been played. Official, real, non-spring training count in the full 162. Did you guys know that two of them have already been played? Didn't know until it was going on, and I think it's a shame because the highlights and stuff, the atmosphere looks incredible, and Major League Baseball did a uh, completely failed marketing this thing and, and making it more publicly known. I had no idea until they were going on. And it's a shame because I really would have enjoyed checking it out. Hey, Dan, did you know it was happening? Did not know. Saw saw some highlights last night, and, and that's how I came to know that Major League Baseball season had already started the season. I knew it was happening, but it's almost and, and, and I follow Major League Baseball fairly closely, but there was a reason that I knew it was happening. So Scott Service, who is the manager of the Seattle Mariners, has a daughter that used to work in the media relations department at Ole Miss while she was getting a master's degree. And so I follow her on Twitter and on Instagram, and all of a sudden she's posting a bunch of pictures from Japan. Well, she had gone on the trip to watch her dad's team open the Major League Baseball season, and I'm like, oh, that, oh, oh, they're play, oh, these are regular season games. It really is a neat story. Ichiro's career is now officially over. He retires. He's the world's all-time hit king, at least if you want to combine his career in Japan and his career in Major League Baseball. And the Mariners are off to a 2-0 start. And to Borky's point just a second ago, baseball in the Tokyo Dome is spectacular. It's loud. It was deafening. But if you wanted to watch the game, you had to get up at 4.30 Central Time this morning to watch it on ESPN. Guess who didn't get up at 4.30 Central Time to watch that game? That would be me. And probably that's you as well. So the Mariners got the win, 5-4 to four in 12 innings, and the career of Ichiro is done. We'll talk a little bit more about him coming up later because I think he's one of the truly interesting and maybe undercovered players in the game of baseball in the last 20 years. He's a really fascinating story. And when you start looking at the numbers and what he's done in his career, it's really remarkable just how good a professional baseball player he's been. We will look at some of the games, college football games, that are coming up this year in Week 2. This year, Week one's kind of ho-hum. Week 2... Oh my goodness, there are some monster games in the second weekend of the college football season. Aaron Fitt will join us a little bit later this uh, afternoon. We'll talk some college baseball with him as we get set for week two in the SEC. Stephen Godfrey will join us. We'll talk a little bit about the Tate Martell transfer. Uh, I think that will be interesting. Also going to ask him some questions uh, about the difference that perhaps Ole Miss fans are going to see with Rich Rodriguez's offense in complexity in comparison to what they saw with Phil Longo's offense a year ago. Some of the early public betting trends in the NCAA tournament and a little bit of a surprise as the lawsuit uh, settlement details have been leaked with regard to how much money Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed actually got in their settlements with the NFL. Here's a spoiler alert. It's not nearly as much as everybody thought 
it was going to be. Not so much. All right. Hey, Dad, you're hanging out in California in a hotel with nothing else to do. How much basketball are you watching this morning? A ton. A ton. And that is, you know, if you have to give the West Coast one positive, mm-hmm. I mean, if you can, you know, let's say I lived here and I, I would sleep at a normal time. I woke up at 6.30 this morning because my body thought it was 8.30. Um, but normally, I mean, you roll out of bed, 9 a.m., basketball. College football weekend, roll out of bed, 9 a.m., football. I mean, that's fantastic. That's that's the, the best thing that the Pacific West has going for it, is that you can just get out of bed and there's sports on TV. You guys you know knock what? me for being a, a millennial or whatever, but I wish I could roll out of bed at 9 a.m. Hey, <laughs> it's great. It's good work if you can get it. So, hey, Dad, when Ole Miss played at Berkeley a couple of years ago, I kind of had that same experience. It was on a college football weekend. Yeah. And the Ole Miss-Cal game wasn't until, what was it, like 7.30 West Coast time? Borky, you made that trip. Is that when the game kicked off? Was it 7.30 on the West Coast? Yeah, it was. It was a night kick, so it was a 9.30 Central time game. I forget who State played that day, but I remember being – done and getting to watch the whole Ole Miss game. I'm trying to remember who Mississippi State played that day, and I don't remember. It was like week two uh, or three, right? Yeah, I think it was week three. But I remember my day that day. So Easy to find out. You, you, you roll out of the sack or wake up or whenever, and what do you do? You flip on the television in your hotel room, and it's 8 o'clock local time, and game day is two hours in. So that was the first thing. And then, you know, get some breakfast or whatever and knock around. And you got the early games. And I don't remember the early games being particularly good that day. And and I thought to myself, this is going to be a really long day if I just sit around the hotel and don't do anything. So I got up at, you know, left the hotel at 9 a.m. We were staying in Oakland, jumped on the subway, took it across the bay, went down, rented a bike, rode a bike across the Golden Gate Bridge and just kind of puttered around and then came back to Oakland to the hotel. It's lunchtime or a little bit after, and you're into the CBS game already. Yeah. It really is a cool way to consume a day of college football. We yeah. get a text. That, that was the day Mississippi State beat the absolute breaks off of LSU. Yes, it was. I just looked it up. I mean, it was a bloodbath. That bat. was in... Starkville. In Starkville. Okay, thirty-seven to seven. That's where uh, that was Ordron's first full year, and, and that's when everybody thought he might not make it through the season. Was after that game. If you want to text oh, the show, the you can six zero one eight seven nine four three nine five six zero one eight seven nine four three nine five. That's the C Spire text line. C Spire customer inspired. So, are you considering moving to the West Coast, hey Dad? <laughs> That's that would make my job very difficult. I think I'll I think I'll come home when this is over. Oh, that's good. That's uh, that's good. Have you seen anything interesting since you've been there? I, I saw something. I don't know if interesting is the right word, but I went to breakfast this morning with another uh, Mississippi guy who's who's here covering the team. And as we left, there's a Cal. You know, we're to stoplight. There's a guy California tag, but the, the license plate frame says Roll Tide. And I was just like, God, you cannot get away. It's global. It is global. I mean, look, just ask Anthony Jordan. Who? 
you know, the referee, you could be in Spain in the middle of the summer and find a Roll Tide shop or an LSU shop. I guess it was an LSU t-shirt that he was holding up that was uh, the angst, but he directed it at the Alabama Brethren. I bet if he had looked hard, he could have found an Alabama store in Beijing or Madrid or wherever also. Um, Michael in Poplarville says that Ole Miss Cal game didn't end until 1 a.m. Central Time. Yeah, it was late. That's a uh, it's a long day. That is a uh, a long game. Um, you can uh, you can tweet the show at Sports Talk M I S S. Some tight games going on right now. Just a few moments ago, um, Tom Izzo almost lost his mind. I, I couldn't see exactly what was going on, but he had players who were pushing him away and patting him on the shoulder, saying, "Coach, sit down in your chair. Sit down and give us a timeout play. Let's all calm down. Everybody get on the same page." Uh, the tenseness of the NCAA tournament. Really an interesting scene. I, are you guys watching this? you have it on your televisions? I've got it's Michigan State, you said? Yeah, Michigan State, Bradley. Tom Izzo. I just flipped it, yeah. Absolutely wearing out one of his players to the point that he had two and three players sitting in the huddle who were holding him down into his chair to keep him from going after this player in the huddle. 44-29, Michigan State leading it over Bradley. That's a 2-15 matchup. Game's being carried on CBS. Still halftime, Belmont leading it over Maryland, 40-34. Four finals so far, Minnesota over Louisville, LSU over Yale, Auburn over New Mexico State, and Florida State over Vermont. You guys have any blood on your bracket yet, or are you still perfect? Louisville. Oh, got me. Yep. I'm right there with you. So three for four so far today. Sports Talk Mississippi, good to be with you on this Thursday afternoon. Coming up, we will uh, get into some of the storylines that are going along with the NCAA tournament. Is there any injury trouble surrounding the number 2 seed Kentucky Wildcats? We'll look at that next in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Sports Talk Mississippi. Richard Cross, Michael Borky. There it is. Brian, hey, Dad. Brian Scott Rippey will join us from Columbia, South Carolina in the second hour this afternoon. We're glad to have you along. Four finals in the NCAA tournament. Minnesota by 10 over Louisville, 86-76. Auburn squeaks by New Mexico State, 78-77. A one-point win. The beauty, though, of this event is the scores are not cumulative. There is no carryover, and it doesn't matter how bad Auburn was down the stretch. They get to start from scratch against either Kansas or Northeastern on Saturday. Florida State beat Vermont 76-69. LSU beat Yale 79-74. I did not watch a lot of that game. I watched a little bit of that game. Borky, did, did you lock in on Yale and LSU? Yes. Or, 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 hey, Dad, did you, either one of you? Yeah, and LSU was far superior athletically to Yale, but they're missing Will Wade more than a lot of people are talking about. The LSU kind of looked disorganized and poorly coached, and, and Yale was able to climb back into that game. But my goodness, Richard, if they could have made an open shot at any point in that game, I'm talking about Yale, they could have made an open shot. They could have potentially won that game. That was their worst three-point shooting game of the year. Open looks after open looks that they just could not make. It was so frustrating because they were climbing back in. They were doing the right things, just could not make open shots. 
LSU was far more athletic than Yale, but I'm telling you, they, they miss Will Wade. They look disorganized. They look poorly coached even and um, scraped by a team that they were just far more athletic than. Hey, Dad, how deep have you got LSU going in the uh, in the tournament? I got them losing in the next round to Belmont, who is currently leading – or is now – they're now trailing yeah. the Maryland. So I need Belmont to go ahead and pull that out. I've got LSU going to the Sweet 16 and losing there to Michigan State. Same here. And they didn't um, look like a Sweet 16 team today, Richard. So I finally pulled up the numbers. Yale, and they made a couple of them late. It was worse than this. They were 8 of 37 from three-point land. And Ani, the guy that everybody says is going to play in the NBA, one of ten from beyond the arc. And he's their guy, their three-point shooter, and he couldn't make a shot today. They were in the the game late and were eight of 37 from three. The the reason that I have LSU going to the Sweet 16, and and I hear what you're saying, hey, Dad, is athletically they're so superior to Yale. And you saw that today. And they get a five-point win. Belmont's good. If they play Belmont, and I've got Belmont beating Maryland, we'll see if that happens or doesn't happen. Athletically, they are so superior to Belmont that even if they are not coached particularly well, they should win in the way that I'm looking at it. But against Michigan State, athletically they are better. They're probably more gifted, more talented. But the coaching mismatch, oh my goodness. Tony Benford versus Tom Izzo? For, with a chance to go to the Elite Eight, no shot. If Will Wade is coaching LSU in that situation, I've probably got LSU going to the Elite Eight and then losing in a tight game to Duke. And how much fun would that have been to watch if you caught a locked-in LSU against Duke with a chance to get to the Final Four? I just don't think you're going to get that because I don't think coaching is going to allow them to get that deep in this tournament. We'll have to wait and see. 601-879-4395, that's the number for the C Spire text line. C Spire, customer inspired. You can text us if uh, anything pops up. You see anything that we miss in the NCAA tournament today and uh, you want to talk about, be sure and make sure it is on our uh, our radar screen this afternoon. Hey, Ed, how crazy is it? If P.J. Washington can't go for an extended period of time for Kentucky in this tournament, it's going to mess up some brackets. Because, well, I mean, he, I mean, they're good. They'll, they'll win the first game, uh, and but after that, you know, it becomes a little dicier. And I've got them in the, uh, I've got them in the Final Four. I have them losing in the championship game to Duke. Yeah. Okay, if you missed the news on P.J. Washington, John Calipari tweeted out last night letting everybody know that P.J. Washington is currently in not just a walking boot, but a hard cast. They sent him to a specialist. Now, prior to yesterday, P.J. Washington was ruled probable to play in Kentucky's game, but they sent him to a specialist. And according to John Calipari, the specialist confirmed our original diagnosis that P.J. Washington has a sprained foot, and there is no fracture. So it's not a broken foot, it's a sprained foot. Once we determined that P.J. was not going to play today, they put him in a hard cast for precautionary reasons. He is out for today's game. So that makes a lot of sense, right? It makes sense. You, 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 You take care of him, you completely immobilize it, you try and let it heal as quickly as it can. If not for the game, 
that Grant Williams had against Kentucky in Tennessee's second win or in Tennessee's win in the rematch, then PJ Washington's probably the SEC player of the year. Yeah. But Grant Williams was very strong case. Yeah. Grant Williams was so dominant. Now, is Kentucky talented enough to overcome this? Eh, maybe. But when you lose a guy who is a player of the year in your league caliber guy in a league like the SEC this year, it can't help but have an effect. And Kentucky had kind of settled into uh, to that rotation. He's the leading scorer on the team, leading rebounder on the team, and over the last six weeks has emerged as the best player on the team for Kentucky. E.J. Montgomery expected to play a larger role at the forward spot, or maybe Keldon Johnson, as a uh, if Kentucky wants to go with a little bit smaller lineup. So Kentucky's got Abilene Christian in the opener. Have you followed the Abilene Christian story? Their, 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 their head got something going on. What is it? He has a rip in the pant, pair of pants of his suit. So apparently, he has, or at least at the beginning of the year, had two suits. He said that he picked up a second one, what he called a suit, somewhere during the season, you know, a khaki pants and like a a shirt and a sport coat. That was his second suit that he picked up. So he's been coaching in this blue suit, and he ripped his pants in the conference championship game and said he got a $1,000 bonus at Abilene Christian for getting his team to the NCAA tournament and said he was going to use the $1,000 bonus or at least part of it to get a new suit before the tournament. Well, when he checked into things at the local Abilene suit store, whatever that is, they said they couldn't get it done in time before he had to leave. Maybe they didn't know who he was. Maybe they didn't understand the publicity that they could potentially get by doing a bit of a rush order to get the man a new suit for the NCAA tournament. So he's telling the story, and he starts getting all kinds of offers. Last night, Scott Van Pelt on SportsCenter said, Coach... If you beat Kentucky, I'm going to buy you a suit. Nice. He said, if you don't beat Kentucky, I'll help you out. I'll give you the name of a guy you could call to get one on your own. <laughs> but if you well, beat the Cats, I'll get you one. He's buying suits for people now. Say what you. now? we got Scott Van Pelt. Y'all well, are buying suits for everybody. Yeah, we've got that thing going for us, SVP. Uh, I hate to tell you, uh, hey, Dad, a- a- yeah. SVP's suit guy, probably a, uh, a little higher up the ladder than mine. You know, I, I, it's okay, though. That's okay, though. At least you have a suit guy. You've got a barber too. I do. Yeah, Scott. He, he doesn't have one. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. I was gonna say, I, not a barber per se. I do have a, a, a nice lady that cuts my hair and has for a long time now, and uh, pretty loyal to her. <laughs> Me and I don't know how she has something in common though, because after I get that suit from you, I will have a suit and I'll have a sport coat and some khakis. There you go. Now, if you could just coach basketball, right? Hey, man, I, I can get great assistant coaches. I'll come cheap and get some good assistants, and we'll figure it out. So so Darren Rovell had to jump into the mix, and he pointed out that uh, Brooks Brothers and Joseph A. Bank and Men's Warehouse and whatever had missed a marketing opportunity, but now it's turned into superstition. Coach says, you know what, guys? I'm good in the blue suit that got us here. It's a superstition thing. I don't want to change what works. I'm coaching in the suit with the ripped pants. Are we to at least assume that the man has gotten somebody to stitch up his pants that ripped? I would hope so. My wife wouldn't let me walk out of the house with a pair of ripped up pants. She would tell me, especially in the rear end. Yeah, she'd be like, I, "Let me sew that up for you." 
Yeah. He's not going to walk around with a hole in his pants. Somebody sewed it up for him. Or, or at this point, does he because of the story to get a little more mileage out of it? Depends on where the rip is. Yeah, I suppose so. This completely overlooks the storyline of the basketball game. Appley, not a bad team. I mean, they're not going to beat Kentucky. They're going to fire up 33s. And if it's one of those days where a bunch of those threes go in, it could be a little scary. By the way, just looking at Kentucky without P.J. Washington, the winner of Kentucky Abilene Christian will get the winner of Wofford Seton Hall. Back in December, Seton Hall beat Kentucky in Madison Square Garden. Do you remember that? That's right, yeah. Assuming Kentucky can handle those first two games, it's really the Sweet 16 where price of poker goes up, where you're looking at a potential matchup with Houston or Ohio State or Iowa State. Kentucky's road, though, to get to the Elite Eight, really not that difficult in comparison to some sports talk mississippi with you in the renaissance bank studio we will go to the farm bureau phone line check out favorites.com and go with the home team that is farm bureau stephen godfrey from sp nation on your radio right now godfrey what's up man uh watching belmont I was going to say, Mr. Uh, Mister Football Guy in the middle of the NCAA tournament, one, did you fill out a bracket, and two, are you cheering for Belmont, your uh, your local do, team? Yeah, I don't fill out a bracket uh, just because I'm terrible at it, um, and, but I do I do pay attention. And yes, the Belmont thing has been really fun because it's awesome to see those really, really tiny conferences get multiple bids in. I think it's perfect. And Rick Burr is just a fantastic coach. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're a really fun team to watch, honestly, and I don't know if you noticed, but Vanderbilt, not that good at basketball in the city of Nashville. I mean, isn't Belmont's campus like six steps from your house? How often do you go watch them play in the regular season? Uh, I've been there a couple of times. It's, a, it's actually a really nice facility. It's very small it and is. very cozy. But I think for college basketball, that actually works out better. Uh, they are right up against Vandy, too. So, yeah, if you didn't know, because, look, this happens the fun of March Madness. You have those teams like Bradley and Bucknell that – you know, some people don't even know what state they're in. Davidson comes to mind with Steph Curry all those years ago. So mm-hmm. if you didn't know, Belmont is in Nashville, Tennessee. There you go. And now you know. And uh, the, their their basketball arena that seats just a little less than 5,000 was made possible in large part because of Vince Gill. So now you know that also. That's right. Uh, that's right. Uh, believe it or not, I actually did not bring you on. Borky did not schedule you for us to talk about, about basketball. Would like Good. to talk a little football if it's uh, all the same to you. The news comes out earlier this week that Tate Martell is immediately eligible at Miami. Were yes. you surprised by this? A little bit, but um, a little bit. Uh, I'm not blown away because Ohio State didn't really have a reason to chase this down and object, and that would have slowed the entire process up. Of course, the reason they didn't really want to make a big deal out of this was they are the beneficiaries of sort of the other talked-about transfer portal quarterback situation in Justin Fields. So um, in order for these things to become an issue, uh, you need to have one of the schools involved basically raise a red flag. and. You know, I think that's the takeaway here is that Ohio State just basically stood down. Miami is obviously not a conference opponent, and it's unlikely they'll see each other. So they just kind of shrugged and let them walk. Uh, all right. New head coach in Miami. New yeah. head coach at Ohio State. Third-year head coach at Oklahoma with his third different starting quarterback. 
All three of those head coaches will have transfer quarterbacks coming in this year. Tate Martell at Miami, Justin Fields at Ohio State, and Jalen Hurts at Oklahoma. Which of those three quarterbacks has the biggest on-field impact for their team in 2019? Oh, man, names I've never thought. I thought now we were really talking football, not just like talking in, you know, hypotheticals. Uh, I really like the situation in Oklahoma because I do think that Hurts gives them um, – he does not replace – he's not a one-to-one replacement for Kyler in any way, shape, or form. But I like every single thing that Oklahoma has around him versus those other situations have more question marks. So it's almost sort of like – you know, it's the simplest way to explain that, but also I think that they're going to be creative with him. I think it's going to be a confidence boost for him. What's funny is I was actually just working on something about Kelly Bryant going to Missouri, and it really comes down to are they going to shoehorn Kelly Bryant into the old Drew Locke offense or not. And I think Oklahoma and that offense staff specifically, they're really, really open-minded. They're really creative. They're really versatile. And I, I like what Lincoln Riley's going to be able to do with a player like Hurts. And, and keep in mind, the thing about Alabama skill position players is before Tua came along, a lot of them led really restricted collegiate careers. You know, you go all the way back to like a Julio Jones or even a Mark Ingram. Like, these guys operate within the, the predetermined system. Oklahoma is going to take more advantage of you as an individual uh, overall athletic skill position player. So I think that's my pick. Other than winning a couple of national championships, I don't know any way that the first two years for Lincoln Riley could have gone better than they have gone after taking over for for Bob Stoops. Because he's so young and because I think, I don't know, part of what you were saying a second ago about that they're creative and they're smart offensively, is this guy going to coach in college a long time or will he make the transition to the, the, the new NFL? I think that if he stays in college, he is, is going to be consistently successful at that stoops level at Oklahoma. I think it may go down as one of the most seamless transitions at a power program that we have ever seen. Now, the problem is I don't know if he's going to stay or not. And there was, there was a lot of talk last year. Obviously, the way that things went with Sean McVay and the NFL, they're very similar in philosophies. And the NFL is aggressive in its pursuit of new trends. Um, It doesn't really matter what it is. If it is successful, especially in the postseason, the NFL is going to chase it and sort of replicate it to death. A guy like Zach Taylor being the head coach in Cincinnati uh, Bengals, like for his career trajectory to sort of turn that quickly upward, it's directly in response to Sean McVay's popularity in the NFL. Now, when you look at college, I think the guy that you get closest to is Lincoln Riley. Now, the good news is he's in a wonderful situation in Oklahoma. I think he sticks around unless you have one of those inarguably good NFL jobs. Like, he doesn't have to go to a Jacksonville. He could just – and honestly, I think those around him would argue against doing that because then you're you're basically three seasons and out. you got to coordinate again, work your way back up. Sure. Um, I think he could stay around unless it is a, like, straight up like a Dallas Cowboys-type situation. Cliff Kingsbury's not coaching in the NFL to, today, certainly not as a head coach, if not for the no. success of Sean McVay. Yeah, and I think, honestly, the quarterback in Kansas City had a lot to do with it, too. I mean, all of this stuff with McVay sure. and Kingsbury and that style is, is tied back to a, a, a version of quarterback play that 
Let me kind of blow your mind for a second, Richard. We well, also Baker Mayfield, uh, if you want to take it back a little farther, right? Absolutely. And, and again, the, you know, the Baker, Baker had a lot of critics really up until he blew up in that Atlanta game, maybe in October, November. It was kind of a later season for Cleveland. All of this happened really, really fast. I mean, Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury got fired by Texas Tech and hired at the NFL. Like, that happened. This was a guy who everyone thought was going to be maybe an offensive coordinator, a place like USC where he got hired, or that he would go to the league as a quarterback coach. There's such a powerful trend right now for offense and for young offensive-minded head coaches in the league that I think it's skewing the way that they're developing coaches at the collegiate level. So you start looking around and finding the even younger guys, maybe even at the G5 level. Um, it's, it's not – I think you're seeing the coaching cultures talk to each other a little bit more than they used to between pro and college. The thing I was going to say earlier was when Jared Goff got drafted a couple years ago, of course we all remember it as a Laramie Tumple draft, they thought he would be a huge bust coming out of Cal, right? He was a system guy. He didn't know how to work under center. And Sean McVay was the one who, you know, basically kind of laid hands like a miracle worker. And that was really where all this buzz started. If you're, if you're good at working with quarterbacks on the pro level, it doesn't really matter what your background is. You're going to find a job. Yeah, Jared Goff under, uh, under Jeff Fisher versus Jared Goff under Sean McVay seemed like two different people. Oh, man, just a little bit. Shout out to, shout out to my neighbor, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, Sports Talk Mississippi with you, supertalk.fm. That's where it's streaming. Glad to have you along in the Renaissance Bank studio. A couple more minutes with Stephen Godfrey from SB Nation. Uh, I'm curious, because you you follow systems and you follow coaches, Phil Longo now at North Carolina with Mac Brown. A lot of criticism of Phil Longo's offense by NFL draft analyst-type people uh, as they were evaluating D.K. Metcalf and A.J. Brown and, to some extent, Jordan Tamu and, and uh, Demarcus Lodge as well. Uh, so maybe two-part question. How, how much different, from a complexity standpoint, will Ole Miss's offense be with Rich Rod this year? And is North Carolina's offense going to look just like Ole Miss's did last season with Longo calling the plays in Chapel Hill? All right, let me go backwards. I don't think that it's going to look exactly the same as it did in Oxford because I think Longo's restrictions are going to be different. I don't think Mac Brown is, is that kind of head coach. It's kind of a curious hire. I'm going to be totally honest with you. Oh, shoot. You Music pair, started. you got like 45 seconds. Uh, when you pair him up with that defensive quarter, Dave Bateman from Army, I don't think so. On the flip side, no. I think Rich Rod is very good at identifying talent. But he's, it's going to be more run-based. It will be as wide open. I do think he's a really good fit with Matt Corral, though. Hmm. Interesting stuff. I'd like for us to broach that topic uh, in a little more depth the next time we visit, if we could do that. Well, we got all spring, buddy. <laughs> Indeed we do. Indeed we do. Stephen, thanks, man, for your time. Good visiting with you this afternoon. Yes, sir. Stephen Godfrey, SB Nation. You can follow him on Twitter at 38Godfrey. We can add another final to the big board, 76-65. Michigan State, a two-seed, wins over Bradley and advances to the second round of the tournament. So Michigan State, Tom Izzo get the win. It was not easy. Again, 76-65, the the final in that ballgame, and uh, one coronary for Tom Izzo by the time it was all said and done. So Michigan, first first second round matchup is set. Michigan State, Minnesota on Saturday in Des Moines, Iowa for a chance to go to the Sweet 16. Also happening right now in Jacksonville 
LSU a winner earlier today, 79-74 over Yale. The winner of the game going on right now between Belmont and Maryland will meet LSU on Saturday. Currently, 3.42 to play in Jacksonville, the 11-seed Belmont 71, the 6-seed Maryland 71. What a game it has been. And Borky, I don't know if you're watching this or if you've got it streaming, and I think Brian Scott Rippey's joined us now on the Farm Bureau phone line from Columbia, South Carolina. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. The guys from Belmont look like they are having the absolute time of their lives. Have y'all seen that? Maybe you're not watching it. Rippy, what's up, man? You made it to Columbia okay? Yes, I did. Made it in late last night. Um, just left media day today. Had some couple of stories up and some video, a notebook, and a story on Bruce Stevens. You can find at supertalk.fm. And now I'm just getting back to the hotel and hopefully watching some basketball for a minute. Yeah, very, very good. I feel like I probably should have welcomed you to the program this afternoon by saying, Hello, friend. I know. He was just crushing McDonald's next to me like the average guy. I couldn't tell if he was a filet of fish guy or not. Though. I was trying not to pass judgment, but I couldn't tell what he was eating. Uh, we, we need to not know that. If Jim Nance is a filet of fish guy, we need to not know that, right? Or, or is that I, I the know, thing that we absolutely to... do need to know? I kind of want to know that. I don't know, because like, I'd probably have to watch the Augusta on Sunday on mute if I knew that. Yeah, was he uh, was he rocking the Jim Nance collection stuff that that, that he's like pimping now the uh, the Vineyard Vines outfit? No, so he had on a blue jacket and like a button down and slacks, and I was fully expecting to see the CBS logo on the jacket. I was about to ask you that. I was about to ask <laughs> no you if it had a CBS logo on it. No, no luck. It was just a plain blazer. See, that would have been a pretty good icebreaker. If if you wanted to be the guy that like walked up to him and said, Hey, I know people come up to you all the time, but I just wanted to say enjoy what you do. That would have been a good icebreaker to be like, I can't tell you how disappointed I am that I don't see a CBS logo on your sport coat. It would have. Or I could have just been like, Hey, Jimmy, how about some clubhouse passes? That's also um, <laughs> a, an option. <laughs> You're just probably better. Uh, anything else that uh, that happened during your travels that are worth talking about? I need stories. Um, no, nothing interesting. I mean, since we talked about it on the show, I think a while back, I, I just I sat in my seat fuming at the people when you get up off the flight and they immediately get into the aisle. It's like, what are you doing? You're not. That's not getting off the airplane any faster. Other than that. Pretty event-free. No delays, no nothing. It was a pretty event-free flight. Hey, Dad said that he had no seatmate in the middle seat of the three seats in either flight. Any such luck for you? Did you get an upgrade? Um. So, yeah, back to the no, both my flights were pretty – both my flights are not full. The first one from Memphis to Atlanta was almost entirely empty. And the second one um, was pretty much full, but I had an empty seat next to me. So I got lucky both ways. You guys did have some nice travel, uh, travel luck, a little travel karma yesterday. Um, all right, so so let's jump into some hoops. You said uh, you said you were at media uh, opportunity earlier today, uh, kind of planes, trains, and automobiles to get you there in time for that. Uh, what'd you learn? What what was interesting? How many teams did you see? G- give it to me. 
Um, so I got there for Ole Miss, watched Oklahoma practice a little bit, watched Gardner-Webb practice a little bit, and then I was writing during the middle teams, which I, I believe were UCF and VCU, but I went in um, during Dukes because Zion Williamson and Devontae Shuler were AAU teammates, and so he gave a pretty decent quote on that, talking about how when Zion was in ninth grade and Shuler was in tenth grade, he just kind of watched all of it, and he was kind of like, this guy is definitely the best player in the state. Um, so that that was interesting, but really from an Ole Miss perspective, I went in, I wrote a little bit about Bruce Stevens because I think he's probably the most key player in the game tomorrow given the way how these teams line up. Uh, take me a little deeper. Was was Zion Williamson as engaging as he appears to be? Yes, and I mean, he's getting peppered with questions. Like, yes, he, I thought he was very well put together and my smile on his face seemed like a really pleasant kid. And, like, and you got to think about it. He's not getting your run-in-the-mill media off questions. Like, he's getting peppered from somebody asked him what song he's going to listen to beforehand to get hyped up. Someone asked him, um, you know, of course, about the injury. Like, just all kinds of stuff that comes with being, you know, the superstar phenom that ESPN crams down your throat for three months. And so I thought he handled himself really well. He seems like a really pleasant kid. Was Krzyzewski interesting, or did you just bail out on that? No, he was, well, I was writing, but I could hear it. Like, it was just right behind me. And so he was kind of, uh, like, he was kind of going back and forth with some reporters in, like, a playful way. Like, he must have been in a pretty good mood. He was kind of commenting on people's accents, among other things. But, no, he was he was certainly interesting. You, you said you watched Gardner-Webb practice. Do you uh, feel abundantly confident that they are prepared to knock off uh, Virginia as a number one seed for the second consecutive year? Yeah, I don't know how Zion's going to fare against that defense. Wait, oh, wait, is Gardner-Webb playing Duke, or is that UVA's first-round opponent? Oh, that was UVA's. Who is Duke playing? Like, I, I uh, D- Duke up. is playing North Dakota State. That's right, that's right. I got the two mixed up. No, but Gardner-Webb's coach did get, of course, as you would expect, a series of questions about that, and those kids said they were pretty confident um, going into it. But obviously, your typical respect Virginia, that whole deal. But I thought Tony Bennett handled himself pretty well because, you know, he got all kinds of questions about what happened last year and how you kind of rebound from that and not let it happen again. I thought he handled himself pretty well. I don't think they're worried. It's a much different Virginia team. I mean, obviously, they're kind of the – fun one to poke fun at, but it's a team that can score at a much higher volume than, than they did a year ago. Well, Marcus Hunter's not hurt either, which makes a little bit of a difference for uh, Virginia. I will say this. I mean, if you're looking at this from an Ole Miss perspective, man, it sure would be awesome if Gardner-Webb knocked off and, and the second-round game was not against Virginia but was rather against Gardner-Webb. If you're thinking about, hey, easiest way for Ole Miss to get to the Sweet 16. But Yeah, I having, would say that would help. Yeah, but but the other side of that is having dealt with Tony uh, Bennett earlier this year uh, when when they were playing in the Bahamas and and I was in that tournament or I was at that tournament kind of covering that for for TV. He seems like one of the genuinely really good guys in college basketball and has been nothing. He he was the ultimate class act immediately after that game in the aftermath of the loss and the first ever one seed losing to a sixteen a year ago. He's had to answer questions all throughout the offseason, all throughout the year. If they win tomorrow, which they should, those questions finally come to an end for Tony Bennett. Probably. And I'm not saying, what if Ole Miss or Oklahoma beats him in the round of 32, though? I still still think he's going to get – like, if they have an early exit, and I'm talking early – I mean, I think – don't you think they have to go – 
Sweet 16 at least, and it depends on how they lose there. Like, I, I feel like they have to make a deep run for those questions on his basketball philosophy and all those things to go away. And I think that's a little bit unfair because he's a good coach. And, you know, the success Virginia's had has really been second to none in the ACC, and that includes Duke. But, I mean, don't they just feel like they have to have a pretty deep run to, to kind of shake all that off? Um, yes. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. I, I guess I meant maybe specific. So, so the postseason questions remain, but the narrative of winning or losing the opening round game as a one seed feels like that particular question maybe goes away. But your your point may be a good one. Maybe it's all wrapped into one big storyline with with regard to Tony Bennett and Virginia and the postseason. Yeah, because it, to me, obviously losing to the losing to UMBC was bad, but they brought up questions on their whole style of play and their whole philosophy of basketball that I feel like that's only going to be rectified, you know, with a Final Four or maybe maybe that's a little unfair. Elite Eight, something deep in the tournament. Here we go, Monster Three by Belmont to get within one fifty-nine point four seconds to play, seventy-eight seventy-four. Maryland, the sixth seed, leading over Belmont, the 11. Might want to uh, get over to True TV, I think it is, to watch the finale yes, in that one. Sports Talk Mississippi, Renaissance Bank Studio, more with BSR on the uh, Farm Bureau phone line when we come back. 79-77, Maryland wins over Belmont. Maryland against LSU for a chance to go to the Sweet 16 on Saturday. Belmont down a point with the basketball, 28 seconds or so left. They dribble, 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 let the clock run down to about nine seconds before they get into their offensive set, and then try to make a really, really difficult diagonal pass on a backdoor cut from the wing down to the lane. It got deflected, turned it over. They foul with two and a half seconds left. Maryland makes one of two. Half-court heave at the buzzer, an air ball, and Maryland advances. That's a tough loss for Belmont, guys. They played well most of the game. Cinderella's kind of struggled late game today. Yes. Rippy, did you see the end of it? Yeah, I just caught the end of it. That was a tough late possession, but you know, like I feel like though Maryland could be one of those teams in the Big Ten that makes a run to the second weekend if they could have gotten by that game. That felt like a really tricky matchup. You don't think LSU uh, gets Maryland? Well, I don't know. Did you see the way LSU played today? There's no reason that game should have been single digits, and I'm not even talking about like should have on paper, like. The way that, like the way that, I don't know. I just thought LSU played very sloppy from the screen that I saw. Yeah, I agree. I feel like LSU gets the win against Maryland and then gets trounced by Michigan State because of coaching. That's probably fair because it's not. Yeah, I mean, it's not like Turgeon's done a very good job with that group this year. Yeah, no, I agree, but. They survive and they advance to uh, to round two. Maryland gets the win. Uh, Belmont played on uh, on Tuesday night. 
and uh, advance to the round of 64, but their season comes to an end. That's a tough loss for uh, for Belmont. Uh, led for a bunch of the game. It was back and forth down the stretch, and then we uh, we get to the end, and Maryland gets it done. Richard Cross, Michael Borky on the Farm Bureau phone line. Brian Scott Rippey, he is on the road in Columbia, South Carolina, where Ole Miss and Oklahoma will play tomorrow morning at 11.40 Central Time. All right, so you, you were at the Ole Miss availability. What did Kermit Davis have to say? What was the mood around the team? What did the players have to say? I think there's a kind of an – I mean, you can kind of sense that they're very glad to be there because, I mean, this was the reason Terrence Davis came back to school. And, you know, after a really bad year last year, Bree and Tyree – I mean, I think I think Bree and Tyree would probably admit he didn't necessarily envision this. So I, I think they're just kind of soaking it in. As far as what was said in some of those press conferences, particularly like the bigger settings like that, it just kind of cra- – like they get asked such a wide variety of questions from different people trying to take different angles at stories that it was a lot of stuff. But, I mean, you get the idea that this game's probably going to come down to how Ole Miss guards some of the smaller bigs that Oklahoma has because that's kind of been Ole Miss's kryptonite to some degree, right? Because when their teams can kind of extend their bigs out to the perimeter, it really makes Dom a non-factor. And so I, that's going to be make Bruce a really important piece in this game. Because I was looking through the numbers today. Bruce has played 28 minutes a game the last five games, and I think that's a product from them running into matchups like this, maybe Alabama notwithstanding necessarily. But I think that's probably what this is going to come down to. I mean, both, I mean the, the guards, I think Ole Miss has a slight advantage there, but, but this, that's really where I'm looking at it this game. Um, from a personnel standpoint, Oklahoma doesn't have much size. It's a pretty small lineup. Their big guy was... Um, uh, Jamani McNeese, and he was hurt, and I think did not play in the last game, and is likely not to play in this game with a pretty significant ankle injury. Did did Lon Kruger give any kind of an update there? Um, he did not. But I was out, I was not there for most of Lon Kruger's uh, okay. presser this morning. They were the first team to go. Gotcha. Um, so so when you look at this Oklahoma team, the the names that you're going to hear over and over tomorrow. Christian James is kind of the veteran leader on this team, but Christian Doolittle has become kind of the guy that the offense works through. Uh, they've got uh, they've got a couple of, uh, of point guards that play. Bienemy's the freshman who uh, was really big in their win against Kansas. Aaron Kalixty is the grad transfer from Maine who is is pretty good. I, I think it was the combination of Kalixty and Bienemy. That combined for a couple of games ago, like like forty seven points. Am I remembering that correctly, or is that something that you've looked at? Um, I don't know that specifically, but I would agree with your statement that it's kind of where the offense is shifted to run through. Because I mean, that that Doolittle does a really good job of kind of creating mismatches with the way he plays, like 17, 18 feet from the basket, and that's. That's going to be key for Ole Miss. How do they? Because like, to me, like when because Dom's going to have to play, they're going to have to try to squeeze ten to fifteen minutes out of him, right? But you would think they'd have to zone when he's in the game because if he steps out on the perimeter, I mean, it's 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 not going to end well. Guys are going to go by him just like he's standing still. I mean, he's fine in 
like ball screen situations. Like he does a couple of very random things well, and one of them is hedge ball screens. But if he gets in isolation out there, which is what Oklahoma likes to do a lot, uh, that's not a very good matchup for Ole Miss. Yeah, no, I would I would agree with you on uh, on that front. The other guy that, that's out there who's been pretty consistent all season long for Oklahoma is Brady Manick. Uh, he's a perimeter shooter. He's a quick catch. Or he's got a, a catch and a really quick release. Uh, can occasionally put it on the on the floor and and get to the rim if he can get by a defender. How important is Ole Miss's perimeter defense going to be tomorrow against Oklahoma? Oh, huge! Because they're, Ole Miss hasn't been a hasn't been a team that per, defended the perimeter well for most of the year, and that's going to be somewhere where Oklahoma can really hurt them because Oklahoma doesn't. Like, as a team collectively, they don't murder you from the three-point line. I think they're at 34.2% from the year. But then you look at it, and you got a kid that's shooting almost 40 and three guys shooting around 35, like, in the heat of their rotation. So, I think they're right in the middle of the pack. I think they're seventh as a team in free-throw shooting in the big Big 12, but they have enough guys on the perimeter that can hurt you to where if Ole Miss leaves shooters in space like that, like what came to mind, who was the kid kid from Arkansas that just torched them all afternoon and continued to get space? It wasn't Aaron. It was uh, Yeah, so that kind of situation comes to mind where somebody gets hot, makes one of their first six shots, and Ole Miss continues to let them find space. Like that—that would be the disaster scenario for Ole Miss, whether it's Manic or one of these other couple guys on the perimeter. Just being, uh, this is not groundbreaking news here, but if Brian Tyree and Terrence Davis combine to go four for twenty-seven in this game, Ole Miss is not not winning. Their, Their season is over tomorrow. Was there any conversation from from those two in particularly about how poorly they played in the SEC tournament and and looking forward to being back on the floor or how tomorrow is going to be different? Not as heavily today, but it was asked about a lot on Sunday when they found out where they were going and when, and they're eager to get the bad taste out of their mouth. And I, I don't... I don't know how tomorrow's going to pan out, but I don't think a scenario like that's going to play out again. Now... Brian Tyree, to me, was less concerning with the way he played. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but he was making he was missing a lot of mid-range jump shots that he usually makes, and it affected his defense, which he and Terrence, that's really concerning from two upperclassmen there. But Terrence was a little more concerning. Like, if, if I was, I would be more concerned if I was Kermit Davis because he was settling. Like, he, he was settling for shots and not actively trying to get to the rim at a certain point. And he even acknowledged that in the locker room in Nashville that night after the game, though he couldn't really place his finger as to why. So I think Terrence needs to be more aggressive and try to get to the rim off the bounce more. And if he can do that early on in games, then it would help if Ole Miss turned them over and got them out in transition and some easy basket there to get them going. But it's definitely something to watch there because they were not good in the last game. And to your point, if they go 4-27 again, they will be headed home. Rippy, this is one of those moments where it feels like Ole Miss should go into this game loose and free and easy and having a big time. People use the phrase all the time, playing with house money, and just going out and having a great time. Like Nobody expected this team to be there. You're here now. Just go have a blast and see what happens. Is that how they come out tomorrow, or... Is for some reason will for some reason they come out and 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 look tight and and you know, like scared of the stage? 
I don't know the answer to that. I think that's a good question, though, because I kind of agree with the, the free and loose and house money aspect, but that's usually something that happens when you're an underdog and you're not supposed to win the game. And I don't know about y'all. I kind of, like, I really do, looking at it on paper, I like the matchup for Ole Miss. Like, I think if they play well, they probably should win tomorrow. Now, obviously, Sunday's an entirely different story, but, like, I think if they play well, they should win the game tomorrow. And so I don't know the question of that. Is the moment going to be too big for them, and are they going to tighten up? Possibly. Or could they come out and play loose and play well? I think that's probably the million-dollar question with this game outside of a schematic thing. I, I, I'm with you, and we'll see how it plays out. But from a matchup standpoint, and you may remember me saying this a, a week ago, the NCAA tournament and success in the NCAA tournament for teams that aren't a one-seed or a two-seed is so much about matchups. I don't think you could draw up a matchup that's a lot better because Oklahoma just doesn't have any kind of a front court presence that scares you at all. They don't have a big guy that they can pound it to. Uh, the way that P.J. Washington took over the game, the way that Grant Williams took over the game, the way at times Daniel Gafford for Arkansas in the second game with Arkansas took over the game, that just doesn't exist. Rippy, enjoy your evening, enjoy the hoops, and we will talk to you tomorrow from Columbia. Sounds good to you Five o'clock hour with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky. Hey, Dad is in San Jose, California, getting ready to cover Mississippi State tomorrow. Rippy is in Columbia, South Carolina, going to cover some Ole Miss basketball tomorrow. And so that leaves us here just to talk about some baseball. We'll get to the college football fix in a little while. Sports Talk Mississippi is brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank. Tell you a little bit more about them and what they can do for you in just a couple of minutes. But right now we'll go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Our buddy Aaron Fit from D1 Baseball. Aaron, happy Friday. Wait, it's not Friday yet. It feels like Friday because of the basketball tournament. Happy Thursday. What's up, my man? Happy Thursday to you. Best Thursday of the year. It is. It's really a lot of fun, and we get to do it all over again tomorrow Plus, tomorrow we get the benefit of uh, another round of uh, conference play in the uh, in the SEC. Did anything surprise you from week one in SEC baseball? Well, I mean, you know, I, I think the, the domination of, of the West um, was a little bit more pronounced than we thought. I mean, those guys really took care of business uh, against the East. And, of course, you know, I mean, it helps that there's a couple of teams at the bottom of the East that I think are, are vulnerable. You know, you talk about Missouri and uh, even Alabama. You know, I know they're improved, but that's a team that I think is probably going to struggle in the league this year. So, um, you know, the, the, I think the teams at the top of the East are pretty strong. Um, you know, Florida and Vanderbilt, they have warts, but I think they're going to be pretty good. Um, but, you know, once you get past the top three in the East, I think it's it's a lot softer than the West. I think that the West really has five legitimate, you know, Omaha-caliber teams there that are going to be battling it out all year. It, it's kind of crazy to think uh, the series tonight begins with Florida and Vanderbilt. One of those two teams, when we get to Saturday night, is going to have a minimum of four losses two weeks in, and I don't think there are many people that looked at those two teams and thought that that would be the case just six games into conference play. No, you're right. I mean, they're both preseason top five kind of clubs. Um, and, you know, look, they're, they're both very, very talented. I mean, that's, that's pretty obvious, but there's going to be things we're going to have to work through. And in Vanderbilt's case, I think their offense is elite, uh, but the, the pitching is many 
the arms as they have, they need to throw more strikes consistently. And that was the thing that hurt them last year, and it's been the case again this year. They're just, they walk too many guys. It's that simple. Uh, and in Florida's case, they're young. You know, they're, they're very talented, but they're very young. You know, they're, they're freshmen in, in, the, in the lineup, I think, are very good. I mean, Kendrick Callow and Corey Acton and, you know, Judd Fabian, those guys are, are outstanding talents. Yeah. But, you know, there's, there's going to be some growing pains there. And, and the whole, you know, rotation is pretty much remade. And I, I like the, the arms that they have there. But, again, I mean, it's, it's just going to be one of those things where I think when they get to the end of the year, uh, I think they're going to be a lot more dangerous than they are now. Right now, they're, they're still having ups and downs. With regard to Vanderbilt, I mean, you, I think you kind of know what you're going to get with Drake Fellows in, in game one each weekend. But if we rewind to the opening weekend of the season when they were out in, in Surprise, Arizona, and you looked at the scores, you know, they won those first two games, but they gave up a bunch of runs, and then they lost a game as well in that opening weekend. What's the point with Vanderbilt where we, we go, yes, the talent is there, and, and maybe they get better, but we just realize that this is kind of who they are from a pitching standpoint based on you know five, six weeks of evidence? Yeah, you're right. I mean, I think we're starting to maybe get to that point. You know, I mean, even Fellows, uh, he's a junior now. He's been in the rotation for, for three years, but he hasn't been that great. You know, his ERA is close to five. And again, yeah. it's just the walk rate's a little elevated. And um, it's not really the, the kind of Friday night starter you expect for a team that was preseason number one. And, and we, we knew that going into the year. We just thought the depth on the mound, um, you know, was so good that they would, they would figure it out. They would find the right pieces. But they just don't have enough strike throwers that they really feel like they can trust. And some of the big arms on this staff, I mean, um, Jackson Gillis has, has really struggled. And, you know, Zach King, I thought he looked great in Arizona, and he's not been very good since then. Um, you know, Kamar Rocker, the very talented freshman, you know, all those guys have ERAs over five. So um, the talent is there. It's just a matter of will they will they figure it out with the strike throwing piece. And at this point, I don't know. I mean, it's just two years now where it's been the case. So I think there's reason to doubt. One of the fascinating storylines to me this year uh, in the SEC is, is this kind of subplot that's out there with the chase for the all-time hits record that uh, uh, Eddie Furness has got at uh, at LSU. Going into the year, everybody looked at, at Jake Mangum and said, okay, he's probably, assuming he stays healthy, going to break the record. And I feel like Antoine Duplantis kind of flew under the radar. There's a chance that both of those guys – break the all-time hits record previously held by Furnace this season, is there any chance that Antoine Duplantis catches Jake Mangum, though, in this chase? You know, I haven't looked lately at, at how that race is going. I'm not sure how many hits ahead Mangum is. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think there's a chance. I mean, those guys are they're very similar players. You know, they're both contact-oriented guys with really good barrel control. They both can really run so you can beat out some infield hits. Uh, and they've both been in the lineup since they were freshmen doing this. So um, it's really kind of a, the perfect two candidates to make a run at that at that record. And so, you know, it'll be fun to, to watch it play out. I, I definitely think at least one of those guys is going to, is going to pass Eddie Furness, and they both, really. It's, um, you know, those guys, they're good, man. They, they've been good for three years now. Yeah, they really have. Jake Mangum uh, has had an unbelievable week also. I think he had five hits on Tuesday and another big game uh, last night. He's sitting on 39 hits on the season, and I think he was right. I, I don't have the exact numbers in front of him. It was 65 or 70 hits short of the record uh, going into the year. So uh, we'll, uh, And then maybe Duplantis was 10 or 12 behind him, so we'll keep an eye on that. Um, but bigger picture stuff with Mississippi State. They go to Florida. 
They take two of three. The first two arms with Small and JT again in the rotation continue to impress. What's the ceiling for Mississippi State? Is it a national championship? Is that the ceiling? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, they're, they're number two in the rankings, and right now, if you had to ask me, I think they're probably the most complete team in the country. You know, UCLA is ahead really? in our rankings, but I've been a little bit more impressed with, with Mississippi State, to be honest with you. Um, you know, the only thing about it is they don't have as much depth as some of the other contenders, and so if they get a couple of injuries, I think they could be in trouble. Um, but if they can stay healthy, yeah, I mean, as Michael Jordan once said, the, the ceiling is the roof, you know? I mean, it's, a, <laughs> it's a, maybe the best one-two punch in, in the country with either and small and, and Ginn. I mean, those guys have been awesome. Um, they need to get it figured out on Sunday with Keegan James. I mean, that's that's kind of like their Vanderbilt guy, right? It's, it's got all the talent in the world. It's a big body, physical guy with power stuff, and uh, just hasn't been consistent. And, and so, you know, their, their bullpen is good enough and, and deep enough that they can cover it. I, I think it's really an elite bullpen, but uh, you'd like to get more out of, out of Keegan James on Sunday. And, you know, I think the lineup is, is just very complete. You know, one through nine, there's a lot of quality at-bats. There's speed. There's power. Uh, I think the defense is, is pretty sound. You know, I don't think it's maybe an elite defense compared to some others out there, but I think it's certainly good enough. So uh, I think all the pieces are, are certainly there. Rewind to mid-June last year when Mississippi State hired Chris Lamonis. What was your reaction when they made that hire? Well, I thought it was a great hire. You know, and, and I know uh, they were they're trying to get some of the really, really, really top names before that, and it's kind of like Texas. You know, a couple of years ago, when they, they tried to get John Savage and they tried to get Brian O'Connor and you know all those guys, Pat Casey, I think was in the mix, and uh, and they wound up having to quote unquote settle for David Pierce, and it wound up being the perfect fit. I mean, David Pierce has done an awesome job; he's a really good coach, um, yep. and and I think it's kind of the same with Lamonis. I mean, I mean, he wasn't the first choice, but boy, the guy's got a, a just a really good level, kind of even keel to him. Uh, I think players really like playing for him, um, and you know he's a great recruiter. He's been a great recruiter for a long time now. Certainly, uh, he was one of the, the principal architects behind all those great Louisville teams over the years, So, uh, and then get, kept doing it in Indiana as well. So I think his track record is really strong. Uh, and, and again, it's kind of a matter of almost lucking out and, and winding up with a, with a great fit for your program, even though it wasn't your first choice. You mentioned a name a second ago that that just reminds me. It's still crazy to me that Paul Casey's not coaching at Oregon State anymore. I'm sorry, Pat Casey. Is he going to coach again? I think a lot of people think the answer is yes. Um, At Oregon State? We'll find out, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, he's, so he's got that kind of clause in his contract that allows him to, he can take a year off, and as long as he announces that he's coming back by a certain date, and I can't remember what the date is, if it's June or July, um, then, then he can come back and get his old job back, you know? So um, I think there's a sense out there that maybe he was just burned out. Um, you know, the last two years took a real, I think, emotional toll on him um, with the pressure of having that, that team that went 56-4 and four and didn't win at all a couple of years ago and getting you know the core of that team back and saying, God, we, this is our chance. We've we got to do it this year. And then on top of that, you had the whole you know, Luke Heimlich saga hanging over it all. I think it really drained him. Um, and, and I think he just spent when it was over with. And even so, I know he agonized over that decision all summer long and didn't announce it till the end of the summer. Um, so really, who knows what he's going to do. I mean, uh, people think they have it figured out, but he, he, I think he goes back and forth on it. So I, we probably won't know until, uh, until the summer. Only about 30 seconds left, so no time really to jump into Ole Miss and Missouri, but I guess you saw the box score yesterday. Ole Miss in seven innings, and I know consider the competition Arkansas Pine Bluff. 
25 to nothing, 21 hits, and a four-pitcher combined no-hitter. Not a bad midweek win, I guess. It's a pretty good day right there. Yeah, no, I, that's a team that, that I think is really going to take off as we get an SEC play. And, um, you know, I know there are maybe some people who aren't sold on the pitching, but I, I like the depth of that staff. I think Will Etheridge has done a great job at the top. Um, you know, I, I like having Hoagland in the weekend rotation. You know, I think they're going to get it figured out. So uh, I love the offensive personnel. I think they're going to be uh, a really, really dangerous club moving forward. Aaron, good stuff as always. Enjoy the, uh, the weekend, basketball and baseball. Yes, sir, you too. Aaron Fitt from D1 Baseball. Always appreciate his time on the Farm Bureau phone line. Mississippi with you. Thanks to Aaron Fitt for joining us. Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, then Mississippi Land Bank is where you should go if you're in North Mississippi. Because at Mississippi Land Bank, they understand what's going on with land financing. Whether it's a dream home that you're building, a piece of farmland that you're buying, it's an equipment loan for a new combine or a cotton picker or a tractor or some other piece of equipment that you need. Maybe you're refinancing an existing loan or getting your crop loans, your production loans in place. You see, the the folks at Mississippi, uh, Mississippi Land Bank understand the land financing business because it's what they do. They, they've been doing it for a long time, financing land for over 100 years. Many of the folks at Mississippi Land Bank uh, have been in the agribusiness world. Either they're farmers themselves or they have family members that are farmers or they are, are previous farmers that are now kind of working on the banking side of things. So they understand what you need, and they're fantastic people to work with. They're people that you go to church with, that you see out with uh, at lunch, that you see at the ball fields. They're folks just like you. Mississippi Land Bank. You can find a branch location or the contact information at their website, mslandbank.com, where they know the lay of the land. We pushed it back just a little bit because of our conversation with Aaron Fitt just a moment ago about college baseball this weekend, but right now... It's time for the college football fix. Well, the music won't play, so just dun, 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 there you go. I thought you were gonna. I thought you were gonna mess with me and like play the uh, the CBS Road to the Final Four music instead I had, today. I actually had that ready at some point, but yeah, for some reason the computers kind of crapped out on me. So just imagine the CBS college football CBS music Maybe. playing in your head right now. Borky, maybe the computer is also watching college basketball and, <laughs> and think that's more important too. than actually doing its job. Did you see huh, where the, the 16 business days that are affected by the NCAA tournament, give or take, there is $2 billion worth of lost productivity because people are watching basketball? It's one of those days where it's nice to work in the sports world, right? I mean, like yeah. you're not doing your job if you don't watch <laughs> all of these games. It's a tough life we live, let me tell you. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. 42 consecutive years. When you win an award or you are at the top of the class for more than four decades, 
you're doing something right. And let me tell you, the Ford F-150 is all kinds of something right. Not only is it the best-selling truck on the road, it's the best truck on the road. It drives great. It pulls big. It looks fantastic. You can test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealer today. We talked opening lines for some uh, some interesting games yesterday and uh, kind of got Borky going down a different road. Normally we highlight week one and how much fun it is to start the season, and there will be some interesting and entertaining games at the beginning of the year. But what about week two? Holy cow, the slate of games in week two, not just involving the SEC, but kind of all over the country. Let's take a look, though, at just the SEC games or the games involving SEC teams in week two. Quickly, Murray State leading Marquette 60 to 42. Another assist for John Morant. Arkansas at Ole Miss. That is a monster game for Ole Miss in week two. In fact, the first two weeks of the season for the Rebels are huge. I mean, it'll, in terms of they're going to tell the story of the season. They may. I mean, you ultimately will be able to point back at those two games and potentially tell the story of Matt Luke's tenure at Ole Miss. That's possible. Memphis in Week 1, and then hosting Arkansas in Week 2. So Ole Miss goes to Little Rock and gets a win over Arkansas a year ago. Arkansas coming to Oxford, where they have uh, been the bearer of bad news in recent trips, right? I mean, heartbreaking losses when Arkansas has rolled into Vaughn-Hemingway in recent years. So that's a Week 2 game. Auburn goes to Tulane, which uh, may be exactly what Auburn needs the week after uh, getting popped in the mouth by Oregon. Yeah, I just I put that in there just because it's at least kind of somewhat like, oh, Auburn's playing at Tulane kind of deal. LSU is at Texas. We talked about this game yesterday. It's fantastic to have two programs like that playing home and home. I mean, that, that's the cool part of it is, okay, the Baton Rouge crew heads over to Austin. But you know what? In a year or two, the Austin crew is going to roll into Baton Rouge, and it will be equally impressive. Answer me this. So it's clear that these neutral site games make a lot of money for both teams. That's why they do it, because it makes money. Sure. But isn't it so much more valuable for LSU to welcome Texas and vice versa than if they were to play Furman that weekend? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's all about scheduling philosophy, though, right? I mean, if you're going to get seven home games and then instead of going and playing at somebody's place, you still get credit for playing at a neutral site in a big-time game and you get a $5 million paycheck? Yeah. I mean, it's, to me, it's just economics and schedule management. But yeah, I mean, build your schedule in a way that you got seven home games and then you play a marquee non-conference opponent in a home-and-home. You know, I I don't know how the math works. I mean, uh, obviously Alabama's got it figured out, right? I mean, they get paid five, six, seven million dollars to go play somewhere and then they play seven home games and kind of get the best of both worlds. But is the revenue generated in that one... Off-campus game, does it supersede the revenue of having an eighth home game every other year? I don't know. But because the way you would the way you would have to work that, I think, 
is one year you play seven in a year where you you're on the road in a home and home with another power conference opponent like a marquee matchup you're going to play seven home games and five on the road four conference games and then a fifth one which is at somebody else's place but the next year you're going to play eight home games right you're going to have your six or your your four mm-hmm. your your four com- or yeah four conference games and then all four of your non-conference games would be at home so I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there are people that are far smarter than I am that have crunched the numbers and decided that it makes the most sense to do it that way. What else in week two? Southern Miss is at Mississippi State, so that'll be in Starkville. West Virginia is at Missouri. Which side note? Apparently, Will Greer. Hey, I don't know why people are surprised by this, but apparently Will Greer is just blowing away NFL teams in his private workouts and interviews. Like he's shooting up draft boards because of how he's done in that process. Isn't there a maturity level? I mean, even even with the issue that Will Greer had with the banned substance when he was at Florida, this is a guy that's married and has a kid and has performed at a high level early in his career when he was at Florida came back from the disappointment of having to sit out for, what, a year and a half? And then played at a really high level later in his career at West Virginia. Yeah, it's one of those things where the NFL, I swear at times they just they outthink themselves. And instead of looking at a guy who has got all the measurables too, I mean, he's not even like a project guy. He, he does everything well. He's got good size, good arm, all that stuff. Won a bunch of games and threw for a bunch of yards in college. And suddenly, the Duke quarterback is ahead of of him in most categories on draft boards and and mock drafts and all that stuff when he didn't throw for very many yards through, I mean, just didn't win games Yes, I would absolutely take Will Greer over Daniel Jones. Absolutely. And so where does that come from other than they just feel like they're smarter than everybody else? Although there is a history of David Cutcliffe quarterbacks (laughs) performing pretty well in the NFL. Yeah, I think some of them have some Super Bowls. Especially the ones whose last name is Manning. Yeah. Um, Richard and Wiggins. Funny guy, funny guy. Said uh, with regard to Borky saying Will Greer shooting up draft boards, he said he's known for shooting up. (laughs) Oh, me. Apparently I forgot to ask Brian Scott Rippey what he was having for dinner as, uh, as well. Um couple of other games that are happening in Week 2. BYU at Tennessee. Texas A&M at Clemson. Vanderbilt at Purdue. A pretty fascinating Week 2 schedule of games involving SEC teams. Is it better SEC than teams. one? Uh, what, Duke, Alabama, Auburn, Oregon, Florida, Miami, Georgia, Vandy, Ole Miss, Memphis, Missouri, Wyoming, South Carolina, North Carolina? Hmm... I'd say week one is marginally better, but not by a lot. At least you don't have that massive fall-off in week two where everybody's playing a directional school. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. That's your college football fix, driven by Ford. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.